If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to welcome you to week two of our summer series, Indominus. Come on. It's all about the indomitable, unconquerable, uncontainable grace of God. We learned last week that God's grace covers everything else. I was practicing this morning at 6 a.m. in here, and my son was like, Mom, the Indominus, you're not really describing it well enough. I'm like, okay, okay. So guys, the Indominus is the king of all kings, the dominator of all dominators. It is the biggest dinosaur that crushes everything else. Hopefully I did a good job. God's grace dominates everything else in a really good, really sweet, really amazing way. God's grace to us, we receive it freely, not because we deserve it or because we earn it, but simply because God loves us and he wants to give it to us. At the cross, we were forgiven for all of our shortcomings, but we also received everything that Jesus got credit for, all the good things that he did. We received all of his blessings. Wherever there's sin, wherever we fall short of God's perfect standard, there's always more grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Romans 5.20, we talked about this last week. It says, sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. I love that. If you weren't here last week, I'll catch you up just a little bit. We talked about the constant flow of God's grace, how it flows to us from God and how we get in that flow by believing in Jesus. We stay in that flow and his, his grace flows to us, it flows through us, and it splashes onto other people. And you know, when we mess up, sometimes we're tempted to get out of the flow of grace, like, ah, oh, I don't deserve it. We never deserved it. When we mess up, we run to the flow of grace. It's like a tipping bucket at an amusement park. My family and I went to Hershey Park for the 4th of July this week, and of course we had to go to the splash pad, and they have the giant water bucket at the top, and the horn sounds, and it just dumps thousands of gallons of water all over all the people under it. And even the people who thought they were outside the flow of the bucket, they got splashed on too. You know, we love grace. You guys love grace? We especially love it when it's directed at us. Like, thank you, God, for giving us everything we don't deserve. But it can be a challenge when it comes to extending grace to other people who also don't deserve it. Especially people who maybe aren't so gracious, people who are human like us, people who make mistakes, people who actually might even hate us. God has grace for them too. And Jesus empowers us to give grace even to those people. Today's message is called Give Grace. And I'm really excited about it. I think this really is a timely word God has for you today. He wants to speak to our church, giving grace. We are the grace givers. Looking back over the past few weeks, think about your life. Was there a time when you were frustrated with somebody at work? Maybe you were frustrated with somebody at church. Maybe you're frustrated with your kids. I know I've had moments of frustration. Did you have maybe an intense discussion with your spouse that you're still just a little wounded from? 
Maybe that happened on the way to church this morning. Did your mom or dad say something that hurt you? Or, or maybe nobody frustrated you, nobody hurt you. We didn't, you didn't have a problem with anybody. That is until your friend or your family member started to tell you about the problem that they have with someone else. I mean, the person they're talking about never did anything to you, but you picked up their offense because, I mean, it's the right thing to do to be righteously frustrated for them. Maybe you saw somebody post on social media and now you hate a whole people group. You hate people who have abortions. You hate people who are anti-abortion. I was reading a book yesterday. It said, we all have groups that we're biased against. It's part of our human nature. But because of Jesus, we overcome that. We're a new creation. We can love everyone. We have a natural bias where when we hear about violence against someone from a group that we're not so into, we're like, oh, they deserved it. But when we see a violence from a group that we trust, we're like, oh, it was justified. That's humanity. But we have a new nature from God. The last time you were mad at someone, the last time you were offended or hurt or frustrated, I want to ask you, what did you do about it? Did you complain about the person? Did you spew it to anyone who would listen? Did you try to make sure everybody heard your side of the story? Did you hurt them the way that they hurt you? Or maybe you stewed it, you stuffed it, you pushed it down inside, you pretended it didn't happen, but subconsciously you're treating that person differently. Maybe you avoid conflict altogether. Did any of that make you feel better? Jesus gives us a third option. He gives us a better way. It's in Matthew 18, 15, and this is what we're mostly going to talk about today. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. So Jesus is saying, if your brother or sister, someone who knows Jesus, sins against you, not just disagrees with you, but actually hurts you, it's your responsibility to do something about it. This is really good conflict resolution for people who don't know Jesus, too. Uh, we'll see at the end of this passage, Jesus has a little bit of a different expectation for them. And maybe you're not in a conflict right now, but this will help you when you do face a conflict. So if someone hurts you, you go to them. Whether they realize they hurt you or not, you go to them. Not to accuse, not to point fingers, not to be right, but to come to a resolution. When do you go to them? I would say as soon as you can, as soon as you can, because decay starts to happen in the dark. Things start to magnify, your problem becomes bigger. Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, if you're fighting with your spouse and it's late at night and you're starting not to make sense and just frustrated with everything, go to bed. Pick up your fight in the morning. We overreact when we're tired. But I would say deal with your feelings within 24 hours. And when you go to that person, go to them with a heart of peace. We talked about that during Connect the Dots. You can't be a peacemaker if you don't have peace on the inside. And how do you get peace? You get peace from Jesus. So when someone hurts you, I would talk to him first. Get in his flow of grace so you have grace to give away. And then go to them. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you, just the two of you. 
In other words, don't involve other people. Unless, of course, someone you love or you are in danger, which you need to get help, you need to establish boundaries. We'll talk about that later. That's like 1% of the time. Most of the time, you need to keep your offense between you and the other person. Never say to a third party something about someone that you're not going to say to that person themselves. Never say to a third party what you wouldn't say to the person. And this helps you. If someone's talking to you about someone else, do them a favor. Tell them, go tell that person. Did, did you talk to that person yet? It takes more character and courage to talk to a person than it does to talk about them. When we're talking about people, that's gossip. And when we gossip, we're just as guilty as the people who hurt us. And God wants to protect us from that. And now not only do we have something against them, but now they have something against us. And instead of fixing the problem, the gossip exacerbated it. It created more offenses. It's like putting wood on a fire. Proverbs 26.20 says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. Speaking gossip always makes problems worse. So when you're going to talk to someone, ask yourself, what am I looking to accomplish? Is this going to help my situation? What if I need to process my emotions, though, with my spouse or my friend? I would say go to the person who offended you first. Make everything right with them. And if you still need to talk to your person about what happened, talk to them after it's resolved. But if your intent is to make the other person look bad, just skip it. You don't need that kind of drama in your relationships. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Proverbs 26:22 says, The words of a gossip are as wounds, and they go down in the innermost parts of the belly. That's the King James Version. The words of a gossip are wounds that hurt you. They go down into your belly. The message says, listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. It says, do you want that junk in your belly? It's funny. No, thanks. It's not good for me. I don't want it. Listening to gossip poisons us. You can tell when someone's been listening to gossip because they don't have peace when they're being poisoned. So gossip involves a speaker and a listener. Whether you're the speaker or you're just listening to what someone else is saying, it's gossip either way. Maybe you're saying, well, I just want to be well-informed. When you listen to gossip, you're always only hearing a tiny sliver of the big picture. You're hearing one accusation from one party. I would say you are less informed than when you started and more wounded, like Proverbs says. Do you know who accuses people? the enemy of your soul who tries to steal your peace. We don't want to be in the same company as him. In Zechariah 3.1, it says, The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser Satan was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. That's what I want to be like. I reject what you're saying about someone else. Reject accusations. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, See, I've taken away your sins, 
and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. When Satan comes to accuse someone, God rejects the accusations. And I'm so thankful because that's what God does for us too. He rejects the accusations. And then what does he do? He forgives his sins. He says, take off his filthy clothes. And he gives them new clothes. He covers him with righteousness. Now, I know we're not God. And maybe what we're being told about someone else really is true. But if God has forgiven them, who are we to judge? In John 8, some religious people brought a woman to Jesus. They said, verse 4, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Oh, shoot, she was sinning, and she was caught, and that's bad. Verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? They kept demanding an answer, so he said, all right, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, the wisest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Was the woman guilty? Yup. Could they have said lots of things about her? Yup. But everyone else in the crowd was guilty of something too. Probably not adultery. But in the eyes of God's law, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. In the eyes of God's law, it's an equal playing field. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all equal. But there's no condemnation for any of it when you believe in Jesus. Come on. There's no condemnation. There are consequences. And we talked about that last week. The woman in adultery, she probably had to go home and deal with the consequences of wrecking her marriage, of wrecking someone else's marriage, of hurting her kids, of memories. Maybe she had new boundaries that her and her husband put up. Maybe they had to go to counseling and they had to do forgiveness. They had to walk through that. There are always natural consequences for sin, but there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And when you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, when you get into his grace flow, you don't want to go back. Jesus says, go and sin no more. I mean, seconds before that, that woman thought she was going to die. And Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why would she ever go back to her old life? She was set free from the power of those old habits. She was set free from guilt. She was set free from shame. Jesus says in Luke 6, 37, don't pick on people, don't jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Man, I love the words of Jesus. Go easy on people. It's hard work judging people all the time. There's a better way, an easier way for you, and a better way for them. Choose grace over gossip. A few years ago, somebody hurt my family really badly. And one day I was crying and just crying out to God. And I was telling him, it hurts. And I want people to know the truth. 
I want to make the rumors stop. I want some relief, God. And he gave me a verse. He said, Exodus 14, 14, he said, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. He will fight for you while you keep silent. I'm so thankful that God spoke those words to me because he saved me from so much pain, so much heartache, so much destruction. He saved me from hurting people. And he uncovered what he wanted to uncover in his timing. He took care of the whole situation. He's God. That's what he does. God fights for you. Talk to him about your problem. Talk to him about it first and listen for what he wants to say to you. Romans 12, 17, it says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Another translation says, in due time, their feet will slip. God's got your back. You think you can do a better job than him? Don't repay evil for evil. That's karma. That's not what Jesus is about. It's a whole different religion. Give grace. When you don't retaliate, you're in good company. It's the way that Jesus was at the cross. 1 Peter 2.23 says, He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. At the cross, Jesus was right. He was perfect. His accusers, they were wrong. He was innocent, and honestly, he could have schooled them all. But he left his case in the hands of God, and he chose forgiveness. That's the way of Jesus. Whenever I talk to my kids about this is the way, I think of the Mandalorian where they say, this is the way. I always want to follow his way. It's better than my ways. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that forgiveness was for those people, and it's for us. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're going to talk about forgiveness in just a second. But let's, let's finish out Jesus' formula for conflict. Depending on your upbringing, you might love conflict, like, oh, there's a fight, come on, let's go. Or you might run from conflict, like, Oh, we don't talk about any problems in our house. We just pretend they don't exist. You might have experienced conflict that was intense and had no resolution, only hurt. Or maybe you avoid conflict. Healthy conflict is essential to human relationships. Healthy conflict brings relief. And if you're a human, which we all are, you need to know how to handle conflict. So Matthew 18, 15 like we already read, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they won't listen, take a mediator with you so you can have productive, healthy discussion. Preferably somebody who loves you enough to be impartial. Somebody who says to you, actually, maybe you're a little bit in the wrong and they save you from you know, saying something that you regret. Someone who's wise enough to show you that you need to have compassion for the other person. Someone wise enough to help you empathize. 
Verse 17 says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. People think, oh, this means tell my whole church what happened and then kick them out. Treat them like they are hated. The Jews hated the tax collectors. It's not what this is saying. Talk to one of your leaders at church. This is why I love our volunteer teams. Each of our teams has leaders and mentors and people helping us become more like Jesus. Talk to this person and have them go with you to the person privately. This verse isn't saying tell every person in the church. That's gossip, and God's not going to, um, you know, say the opposite of what his word already said. Now, you go to the person with your person, and they still refuse to listen. After you've gone alone, you've gone with a friend, you've gone to them with a trusted leader. Treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Is Jesus giving us permission to hate people? Like, I tried. They're dead to me now, though. They're in God's hands of judgment. Hopefully he strikes them down with lightning from heaven, like Thor. No. How did Jesus treat sinners? Jesus gave them grace. He forgave them. He loved them. He was nice to them. He had different expectations for them than people who knew him and knew better. If you would go to someone who's offended you, and they won't listen, even after intervention. Maybe they don't know the Jesus that you know yet. And maybe your love will lead them to Jesus. Remember, grace wins hands down every time. It's a promise. I was reading an article this week about how the lead pastor of the Church of Satan decided to renounce his Satanism. And they said, why did you do that? And he said, well, I had been wounded and hurt my whole life. And there were these two people who loved me unconditionally. No matter what I did, no matter what I believed, they just loved me. They showed me grace. And these two people were followers of Jesus. Come on. That's what grace does. It changes things. So the message puts all of that like this. Matthew 18, 15. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest. Try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, which is just changing his mind about what happened, and offer again God's forgiving love. There it is. Keep offering forgiving love. So after Jesus was teaching on all of that, which was really blowing the disciples' mind, they're like, this whole grace thing is new to us. Peter had a question, and it's the same question you might have right now. Matthew 18, 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to like seven times? You know, he's like, that's impressive. Jesus is going to love this answer. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Because God forgave you, you can forgive every time. He goes on to tell a story about a person who was forgiven of just a huge, unpayable debt. Someone else came to that person asking for forgiveness of a tiny debt, and that person refused Jesus is saying, you've been forgiven of so much. 
every place you've ever missed the mark in the past and in your future, you can forgive one offense. You can forgive two offenses. You can forgive 10 offenses. You can forgive 77 times. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults. What? Human beings have faults? It's true we do. Make allowance for those and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance for other people's humanity. Don't expect them to be Jesus. Forgive. You don't need anything from someone in order to forgive them, in order to set them free in your heart, in order to cancel the debt that is owed to you. If you don't forgive them, you're still tied to them. I want to tell you today, let the dysfunctional family of your past go. Cut it loose so you can be free. Stop carrying around their baggage. It's not helping you. Cut the tie. Let that relationship go. Stop wasting your time and energy letting your ex hurt you because you want something from them. You want an apology. You want them to do this or that. If you're not forgiving them, you're still in a destructive relationship with them. Forgive them. Set yourself free. Let the trauma go. Forgiving someone isn't saying what they did was okay. Forgiving someone is setting yourself free from the past. It's letting yourself move forward. It's enjoying the freedom that Jesus has for you. We always need to forgive to be free, but we don't always need to reconcile the relationship. Forgiveness is letting go of the past. Reconciliation is continuing a relationship in the future. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Grace flows to your heart and then flows from it. Guard your heart with healthy boundaries. Keep the flow clean. It's like having a fence around an orchard. The fence keeps the plants in so they can grow and be healthy. The fruit can be juicy. It also keeps the deer out that want to steal the fruit. It would be unwise to let the deer in. I don't care how cute Bambi is. He just wants to eat your apples. Don't let him. Keep a healthy fence around your heart that allows love in and protects you from people who don't have your best interests in mind. If someone hurts you, forgive them, but don't choose to continue to be around them if they're still hurting you. You can't change others, but you can change yourself. You can change your boundaries. You can change how you respond to them. Forgive and guard your heart until you see fruit. Matthew 7:20 says, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. You get to decide which trees you allow in your garden, the ones producing healthy fruit or rotten fruit that's going to poison your fruit eventually. When someone hurts you, go to them. Choose forgiveness and choose to give them grace. Bless them not because they've earned it or deserved it, but because you have it to give from Jesus. Matthew 5:38 he says here's another old saying that deserves a second look eye for eye tooth for tooth is that going to get us anywhere here's what i propose don't hit back at all if someone strikes you stand there and take it in the next part of that verse we could have that thanks if someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back 
Give wrapped your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. Those are the words of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. How do we live that out today? By blessing our enemies. Nobody's likely to hit you. If they do, don't hit them back. More than likely, they're talking about you. Don't talk about them in retaliation, like we talked about earlier. Don't stoop to their level. Don't become something you're not. Choose to be more like Jesus. Choose to be more like you're, who you're really becoming, who he created you to be. When someone tries to take from you, give to them. They want your shirt? Give them your coat too. Why? Because that helps you forgive. It sets your heart free. Whenever someone attacks my character, my kids and I go to the store and we pick out a plant for them. Because I'm teaching my kids that we'll do our best to bless people no matter what, to love them unconditionally and to pray for them. And when I do that, that helps me keep my heart clean, helps me keep my heart free too. Because at the end of the day, our relationships aren't really about us anyway. They're about us pleasing God and becoming more like Jesus. Maybe for you, somebody's talking about you. Maybe it means reaching out to them just to encourage them. Maybe it means giving them a compliment. When you see them at the store, instead of running away from them, choosing to be kind to them. Maybe it means serving them. Maybe somebody hurt you in your family and you're going to go mow their lawn today. You're choosing to serve them. Matthew 5, 43 says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that, this is Jesus. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. It's my favorite. I think we all need to write that down. Let your enemies bring out the best in you, not the worst. We all have a choice. You can let people bring out the worst in you, the ugly side, the hurting side, the victim side, and there's no condemnation for you in Jesus, but there's no freedom in that either. Or you can let it bring out your faith. You can let your enemies bring out the best in you. You can let them refine you and help God produce good things in you. It's so easy to love our friends, but it's extraordinary to love our enemies as God loves us. And that's a love that changes people's lives. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Instead of talking about them, talk to God about them. Instead of insulting them, bless them. Matthew 5, 45. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you're working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. That's who you really are. You're working out of your identity in Jesus. And Jesus, he gives everyone his best. He gives everyone what they don't deserve. The next verse, verse 46, it's what God does. He gives us his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. He gives it to the good people and the bad people, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. Anybody, people who don't know Jesus can do that. 
In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Come on. We are part of a heavenly kingdom. We're a new creation because of Jesus. We can live out of our new self, out of our new identity. We can give grace towards others the way that God gives grace to us. It's a flow that comes from Him through us. We can go to the people who hurt us. We can forgive them even if they don't deserve it. And we can bless them because it sets our hearts free. Maybe you're here today and your heart isn't free because you've never experienced the love of God. From the time that He created you, God wanted to have a relationship with you, but He gives you the option to choose to love Him or not to reject Him. He sent Jesus to die for all the places you weren't perfect simply because He loves you. And He has good things for you. He has good plans for your future. He has wholeness for you, freedom for you, healing and restoration. It's all available in Jesus. But He doesn't force His way into our lives. He lets us choose to receive the gift of new life. The abundant, adventurous, life of freedom in Jesus. He gives us the opportunity to choose a better way of life.